Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week, we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda, and Julia is taking a much-deserved break, so it's just me telling you about episode 229, Bird Stalls. I loved this conversation. Julia and I recorded it last week, and I spent the rest of the weekend like Googling this topic, looking up pictures, looking up examples, reading Reddit threads. I really went down a rabbit hole, and I think, or down an earth stall, as you're soon going to know, and I think you will be as well. But first, I would like to welcome our newest patrons, Matthew, Jennifer, Pointing Cat, Catherine, and Alexa, who I would definitely follow down into an earth stall, I think, and our supporting producer-level patrons who would make sure that I do not get caught and that I have exactly the the materials and supplies I need to get out. Alicia, Allison, Brian, Deborah, Hannah, Jane, Jessica K, Jessica S, Justin, Keegan, Nieselkins, Liz, Megan Linger, Megan Moon, Phil Fresh, Polly, Captain, Jonathan, Malachi, Cosmos, Sana, Sarah, Scott, Skyla, and Zazie. Now, Sana, Sarah, and Scott, as I go through the different vowel pronunciations of your names, uh, I just want to thank you three in particular because I try really hard to get it right. And our legend level patrons, finally, Audra, Drew, Jack Marie, Key, Lada, Morgan, Necro Royalty, Renegade, Sammy Todd, and BME Up, Scotty. We're so grateful for all of you. You make it possible for this to be our jobs. And in fact, this week, I just wanted to remind everybody that our Patreon starts at just a dollar an episode. That's a handful of dollars a month. That's probably less than a latte costs near you. And that support goes a huge way toward helping us make sure we can keep making the show. In fact, we just passed 400 patrons, meaning, that's right, we are working on a Spirits Tarot deck. We could not be more excited. We could not do this without your support. And in case you're curious, the next Spirits patron goal is at 6,666 patrons, I will fully buy a castle in Ireland. So just to let you know, like that is on the table here. I will fully buy a castle in Ireland and we will post photos of it. Maybe you could visit. Who knows? That is very exciting. And the fact that we can be in our sixth year past our five-year anniversary of doing this podcast, continue to get new folks supporting us and old folks who have been there since pretty much year one. We're just so grateful for it. So if you have a few bucks a month to spare to support any creators, I think that's awesome. If you choose for one of those creators to be us, we're very, very grateful. And you can go to patreon.com slash spirits podcast to get extras like bonus urban legend episodes every month, recipe cards and director's commentaries for each episode and a number of other awesome benefits. And speaking of great things, I would love to recommend a new book by a previous guest. Rose Eveleth was on the show a few months ago to talk about Frankenstein, just a person that I have respected for so long in podcasting, someone I get to work with from time to time and whose work I just love. Like I look forward to new episodes of Flash Forward so often. But now there is a whole new way to enjoy her futurist. Let's look at the future with optimism, but also realism and kind of examine the ways that we could get there. Also with beautiful art, graphic novel is out now. Rose made a graphic novel also titled Flash Forward that is a total kind of like sister or companion to the podcast that explores some of the same ideas that she works through in the show in a whole new beautiful visual way. So you should pick up a copy of Flash Forward today. It is beautiful. It is worth your time. It'll be a great gift. I promise you. You can go to spiritspodcast.com slash books to see a list of all the books by previous guests as well as books that we recommend on the show. Flash Forward's on both. We love it. We love Rose. Congrats on your book release, my friend. And guys, I promise you're going to want to buy it. So I'm wishing Julia a very good week off. And everybody, now it is time to get a little creeped out and very fascinated with episode 229, The Secret Tunnels of Europe, Erdstahls. So Amanda, we've talked about in Urban Legends episodes how like tunnels are inherently creepy. 
Yes, they are. We've had a lot of listeners send us in stories about like haunted tunnels underneath their schools, which like my school had one of those too, and how like the underground city in Montreal, Canada is like this weird liminal space and also like the path in Toronto. It's wild that they have just like full underground cities that like span miles in Canada. What's up with that? Yeah, when we're able to travel again, I want to do a catacomb tour of Paris so bad. But in the meantime, I'm going to continue rereading The Bell Jar, which my main takeaway from that book was... Yeah, underground tunnels in a sanatorium, even creeper than a sanatorium. Mm, mm, always. Yeah, the fact that they just used to wheel the dead bodies out of there through the underground tunnels, that's... Mm, mm, mm-hmm. Nope, mm-hmm. not a big fan nope. of that. <laughs> but tunnels, they're creepy. And thankfully on the Multitude team, uh, we're not the only ones who are big fans of like all things creepy and cool because Brandon the other day messaged me with this article on something that I hadn't heard of before. And if you guys don't know Brandon, Brandon is one of the players and the sound designer on Join the Party. Go listen to Join the Party. It's fun. It's so good. You'll love it. So he sent me an article on something that I hadn't heard of before, which is Erdstahl's. I don't know if this is either. Yes, good. Basic definition of an Erdstahl is that it is a tunnel. It is a specific type of tunnel. They're found across Europe, and we're not exactly sure what they're used for. Oh, I love it. I love a little historical archaeological mystery. Yes. And we're not exactly sure when they were made or why they were made and who made them. You know, I bet there are, though, a lot of really interesting folkloric explanations. Oh, oh, bud, you are correct amundo. Hooray! Wow, I feel like a 90s cartoon character by saying correct among them. <laughs> so the first documented mention of an Erdstahl was in 1449. And the name in German either translates to Earth Table or Earth Stable or Mining Tunnel. Okay. So there is a couple of notable local names for them as well, which I tried my best to look up these German pronunciations. I am sorry if I don't nail them properly. Schrazelach, which means goblin hole, and Arunkohol, which means mandrake cave. Okay. Mandrake? Mandrake. What are mandrakes? So mandrakes are plants that their bulbs tend to grow into like the shape of babies. Got it. And so in a lot of fiction, you'll see them as like actual babies. And they were used a lot in like folkloric medicine and alchemy and like witchcraft cool. Much like a narwhal. You know, I have those narwhal moments from time to time, Julia, where I'm just not a thousand percent sure if it is real or fantasy. It's both. So that's good. Excellent. So the problem is that there is not a lot of archaeological evidence or materials that can be used for dating these tunnels. So it's not like there's a lot of like pottery or tools Mm. that are found in these Erdstahls that can be used to date them, basically. One of the few things that has allowed archaeologists to date the tunnels was coal from a fire pit at one point, uh, which helped them date it to about 1030 or 1210, somewhere in that range. Interesting, because, yeah, I mean, if it's just a tunnel in the ground and until, you know, extremely recently in the course of human history, it was hand tools that we did that with. I get how that would be really hard. Yeah. There was also evidence in a separate tunnel of coal that was dated back to 950. But that is like the earliest archaeological evidence that we can find that allows us to date these tunnels. I mean, that's pretty long ago, particularly for a project of such kind of scale. Yeah. Why are you and I talking about these tunnels, Amanda? Just because they're like kind of weird tunnels, right? They are mysterious, weird tunnels that are interesting, sure. But is that worth an entire Spirits episode? Hmm. Hmm. The thing is, Amanda, it's not just like a few mysterious tunnels. There are over 
2,000 known Erdstahl tunnels throughout Europe. So over 2,000 of these tunnels that we don't know what they are and why they were made or what they're used for. That's like a room in a house that we don't know why it's there. Like that is pretty widespread. Yeah. And they've been found in France, in Britain, in Scotland. But the majority of them have been found in Austria and Bavaria. It's something like 500 have been found in Austria, 700 have been found in Bavaria or vice versa. I can't remember which. The next big question is like, yes, these are tunnels, but what do these tunnels look like? Why do we know that these are Erdstahls and not just like interesting tunnels that we found? A root cellar which are also very interesting. If you have a root cellar, I'd love to see it. Thank you. I love root cellars. I wish I, I need to buy a house that has a root cellar. I think I would have to like move to farm country in order to do that. Yeah. Because they don't build root cellars in the suburbs usually. Yeah. All the houses around here that are that old are quite expensive by now. That is true. Unless it is just dilapidated. And yeah, I saw a house recently. Sorry, I've been on my Zillow kick lately. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, me too. I saw a house recently. They were like, uh, you know, give us a $450,000 for this. I'm like, this clearly, this house was on fire. Why would I give you that <laughs> amount of money? You won't show me interior photos and there's burn marks on the outside. I'm not giving you that. That'll do it. That'll do it. <sighs> but I mean, speaking of fires, my main question here is like, what human misery necessitated these tunnels? Like, is it religious persecution? Like, what what's happening here? You're asking the good questions, Amanda. But first, okay. we're going to talk about construction because construction is how we know that these are Erdstahl tunnels and not just like random tunnels. So there was a archaeologist named Herbert Wimmer who began to categorize the tunnels in a research study in 2000 and classified them into four different types, which is types A through D. But first, let's talk about the general construction of the Erdstahl tunnels because this is like how we define them and then we can get into the differences. Cool. They are very low and very narrow. So usually only at most about four and a half feet tall and the smallest being only a little bit taller than three feet. That is very small. Mm -hmm. And the maximum width of these tunnels is only about two feet wide, which is wild. Like the average person is about two feet wide, I feel like. Yeah, or greater. Like airline seats even have to be like 29 or 30 inches. And that's only small enough to be a person. Yes. So these tunnels we know are not naturally occurring. They're definitely human made. You can tell by the like carvings and the way that the walls are kind of these like oblong oval passages. So we know that they were made by humans. And it isn't usually just a single tunnel, but usually it is a series or system of tunnels that is carved into that smooth, ovular shape. Sometimes they connect to these other lower tunnels through a small passage, which is called a schlupf, which literally translates to slip out. Incredible. These schlups, I cannot stress enough, are extremely tight. Like I found a lot of photos of like young adults or tweens that were able to pass through them through like a series of like contortions and maneuvering and squeezing. But most adults probably wouldn't be able to pass through them. Oh my, like even, you know, when we accept that humans because of malnutrition before were smaller, that is still so surprising. Going to the schlups a little bit more, some archaeologists believe that these schlups were made to kind of promote airflow through these tunnels. But again, nothing is really certain about these things, so we're not entirely sure. Interesting. Going back to Herbert Wimmer's 
classification of the different Erd styles, let's run through the different types real quick. So type A were these long single galleries that had the schluffs or the slip passages and short side slopes. Type B were like multiple levels that were connected via the vertical slip passages, the schluffs. And it seems like these were like construction tunnels that were then closed off after the primary channels were completed. And most interestingly about type B, in my opinion, is type B had these like seating niches that were cut out of the tunnel. Though like my question is like, why would you want to sit in a dark, poorly ventilated small tunnel who can say? <laughs> or shelves, potentially. Potentially. But they were very low to the ground, so it seemed as if it was more for sitting, I guess, instead of shelving. And I'll explain why later, but you would think the shelving would be higher up in the tunnel than lower. I totally agree with you. I also just wanted a chance to say the sentence, what is a seat but a shelf for a butt? Thank you for that. That is right. very helpful. I appreciate right. it. I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm picturing like a, a little like wall niche where you would put like a statue or an object of veneration or something. That is an interesting choice. But again, like wouldn't we have found those objects of veneration by now? Probably. In theory. Yeah. So type C is more multiple horizontal slip passages. And then there is sort of like this round trip tunnel that at the end or in the middle is like high enough to walk through upright. Hmm. So that one's like, it almost like is a tunnel that leads to an area that is wider and perhaps could right. fit more objects or more people or what have you. And then finally, there is type D, which is multiple chambers that are connected through tunnels with horizontal slip passages spread throughout. I am so intrigued. I have no fucking idea what this could be about. And not a lot of people do know what it is. Which is the best part. This is the coolest part about the earth stalls. I'm trying to picture too, like, it doesn't sound like there's even a consistent size. Like, I'm sure that someone would have figured out if it was like the size of a barrel of beer, you know, and like if it was created purpose built for a purpose that we can identify. But the fact that we can't and it's too small to really be comfortable for people and it doesn't go somewhere. Oh, man, that's so interesting. Yeah. And there's over 2000 of them and we don't know what they were for. It's wild. Okay. Oh, my. So a big reason that a lot of people don't know about Erdstahls has a lot to do with the fact that like the tunnels are too narrow to allow anyone who's not a researcher or scholar to explore them. Sure. So there's two in Austria that have been expanded slightly so that they can be explored and viewed. One is in Perg in Upper Austria and the other is in Groschkat in Lower Austria. However, interest in the Erdstahls was somewhat like revitalized by an article in 2011 in the German newspaper Der Spiegel. And the article in question kind of starts with this story of a dairy farmer who had one of her cows just like fall into a crater of the earth and led to the discovery of an 82-foot-long tunnel system beneath their property. Whoa. Notably because her husband attempted to investigate the tunnel and almost got himself trapped in the narrow halls. However, both he and the researchers who eventually came to investigate the tunnels found that the lack of oxygen cut most of their investigations short. Oh, oh, baby. I mean, that'll do it. That'll do it. But... All of this kind of continues to raise the question, right? Like, what were these tunnels for and why were they built? And I will dig into that. Get it, dig? Because because I do. <laughs> uh, just as soon as we go and grab a refill. Let's do it. We are sponsored this week by Brooklinen. One of the best parts of my day every day is getting into the bed, which I call the buttery soft, 
because we have buttery soft Brooklyn and sheets on it. And they honestly make this daily occurrence into something luxurious. And that is what they do for all kinds of things, not just bedding, but loungewear. I'm wearing a Brooklyn and uh, lounge t-shirt right now. This is not a lie. I did not plan this. I just wear one of these t-shirts basically every other day. They also make towels. I recently got a hand towel from them. Again, with my human money, they didn't send it to me. I just bought it because I love it so much. And also robes, which I am saving up for. I'm going to treat myself to a robe. So trust me, you are going to want to give yourself the comfort refresh you deserve and get it for less at Brooklinen. So go to brooklinen.com and use promo code SPIRITS to get $20 off your minimum purchase of $100. That's brooklinen, B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and enter promo code SPIRITS for $20 off with a minimum purchase of $100. That is brooklinen.com, promo code SPIRITS. And let me know what you get because I promise you're going to love it. We are also sponsored by DoorDash, which is a great way to connect with restaurants you love and also get things like grocery essentials in your neighborhood. Whether it's takeout food, drinks, snacks, or other household items that you need delivered today, you can do it with DoorDash. It's very easy to do. Just open the DoorDash app, choose what you want from where you want, including like multiple locations, and the items will be left safely outside your door with contactless delivery drop-off as a setting that you can choose. They have over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, so you can can use DoorDash to get favorites from national chains or restaurants in your neighborhood. So for a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on your first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code CREEPYCOOL. That's 25% off up to a $10 value and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code CREEPYCOOL. Don't forget, code CREEPYCOOL for 25% off your first order with DoorDash. Subject to change, terms apply. And finally, we're welcoming a new sponsor to the show. It's Rothy's. This is a company that makes stylish and sustainable shoes and bags. And one of the challenges I have during summer is that I feel like my feet are like delicate baby's feet in that I get blisters if I so much as like (laughs) tighten my shoelaces, like anything changes about the shoes that I'm wearing and suddenly I'm getting blisters all over the place. So I was really delighted that when I tried Rothy's, the sneakers did not give me blisters. And finally, I can just truly have a pair of slip-on sneakers where I can slip it on and go. And they're stylish. They're very nice. There's tons of style options and colors and things like that. But most importantly for me is that they are comfortable, but also sustainable. They have transformed nearly 100 million bottles into beautiful shoes, handbags, and face masks. And they're also fully machine washable. So particularly in summer when you want to wear your stylish white shoes, you know, but you also have to, you know, go places and walk places. It is very easy to keep them looking great. So go check out all the amazing shoes, bags, and masks available right now at rothys.com spirits. That's R-O O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash spirits. Style and sustainability meet to create your new favorites. So go to Rothy's dot com slash spirits today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And now let's get back to the show. So for this episode, I wanted to pick something kind of earthy and mysterious. But if you know me, you know, I'm not a huge fan of like whiskeys and scotch and bourbon, which are your typical earthy cocktail mixers, you know? Yeah. So for this one, I found a great recipe 
that I kind of uh, did a little bit of twisting on my own, which is a vanilla black pepper and thyme martini. Fascinating. See, Julie, this is why this is your job and not mine, because I would have just said a mudslide. A mudslide would be very good, actually. (laughs) Thank you. I'm just like, how do I make this as complicated as possible? And you're like, what if we went to Applebee's? I was like, yeah, what if we did go to Applebee's? Listen, there is a point in everyone's pandemic where you just kind of yearn for a TGI Friday's cocktail. Don't we all? Don't we all? God, I just want to go to a place and drink a margarita and have chips and salsa. That's it. Yeah. But my whole point of this cocktail is because it allows me to play with one of my favorite things for cocktails, especially for summer, which is simple syrups. Because God, simple syrups are the best and they are so easy to make and more people should make their own simple syrups at home. Like last year I was making gin sours with Szechuan peppercorn simple syrup that I made at home and it was the best. Yeah, it's a really good use for extra herbs. If you have like buy a bunch and you're like, what what else can I use all this parsley for? That would be a great way to use it. Rick Martinez has a recipe, I think, over on Food Network for PNCO simple syrup, which mm-hmm. is like a mix of herbs. You use like unprocessed like coconut sugar, cane sugar. It's really delicious. People at home, do not be intimidated by simple syrups. They are the best. They can absolutely make a cocktail. All it is is a cup of water. Or like, it doesn't even have to be a cup. It's equal parts water and sugar and then whatever you want it to taste like. So you want lemon? Sure. Lemon simple syrup. Rosemary? Sure. Throw some rosemary in there. You just strain the rosemary out when you finish the simple syrup. You just cook it on a slow boil until it gets a nice thick consistency. And then you got simple syrup. It's very, very good. Use a little funnel. Get yourself a little diner squeeze bottle. Mark it with masking tape and then you're going to feel like a chef. I promise. Yeah, you can get those for a dollar at the dollar store. That's what I did last summer. And they last for months. Oh, this is great. And then you can pretend that your cupboard or like the door of your fridge is a little earth stall with all your little guys lined up. Perfect size for them. Too small for you. Perfect size for something else. So let's begin to talk about the purposes of the earth stalls or at least the theories behind them, because like I said, we don't know exactly what the purpose of them is. (laughs) So part of the reason is because there just are no written records of the construction of any of the Erd stalls, or at least none that archaeologists or scholars have been able to find yet. Some early thoughts of what the Erd stalls might have been was very practical at first. So they believed that maybe they were used as dwellings, but that was pretty quickly discredited because of the size of the tunnels, the fact that like airflow doesn't really allow for extended periods of time to be spent in them, and the fact that there's no indication that they were used in that capacity, like as most dwellings from that period would have. Some others believed that they might have been used to store food, but many of the tunnels have been found to flood and fill up with water in the winter, so that just would not have allowed for safe food storage. Yeah, that would have been my thought as well, where, I mean, certainly, you know, a root cellar is good, but if it's enclosed on all sides, maybe the temperature regulation is even better than it would be in a typical root cellar. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, flooding happens in a lot of these herd stalls. Yeah, no. And because of that, it's also highly unlikely that they were used to store livestock for a similar reason. Sure. Also, the fact that there's no evidence of like droppings or feces that have been found in the cave, which would have indicated the use of livestock in there. Yeah. Or like straw on the floor, like people did that in their homes. Mm -hmm. So why wouldn't you do that in a place that either you or your animals were hanging out? Exactly. 
Another theory is that the tunnels were built as hiding places. So built in a period of instability where there was usually the threat of like robbers and bandits. That was like an extremely common thing. So the theory, which is from an archivist named uh, Josef Weikenberger, was that like when bandits were seen coming to like raid a remote village, I think of the scene in Lord of the Rings where like they're sending their children off because they can see the like incoming armies heading towards the village. So when they could see these bandits coming to raid the village, the farmers would gather up their valuables and flee into the underground. Weikenberger is interesting because he also wanted to prove that his theory was sustainable. So what he did was he actually locked himself and two other colleagues in an Erdstall for 48 hours. Oh my god. Despite the fact that like the lack of airflow could be extremely dangerous. So they took precautions, they brought oxygen monitors with them, and when it dropped low or when they started to like feel drowsy, what they did was they would like crawl deeper into the Erdstall and the schlups, those like passages allowed for like further in to become more ventilated like they would start at the beginning they would use up the oxygen that was stored in the schluffs or in the tunnel like above them or below them and then they would move further in there would be another schluff there would be more oxygen Oh, okay. Which is interesting. But I am not entirely convinced by Weikenberger. And two, I think if it was something that everybody started doing because everyone knew it was a good hiding place, like eventually, you know, if there are 2000 of them and you're an experienced raider, like you may know, in fact, that that's a thing that you need to check for. That's true. So there was also this Australian spelunker named Edith Bednarik, who was basically refuting Weikenberger's theories, pointing out that, like, most of these Erdstalls were not large enough tunnels for people to gather into. So, like, if you had your whole family there, you wouldn't be able to fit those amounts of people. And, like, the chances are your oxygen would run out extremely quickly and probably not by the time that these raiders would leave, you know? Sure. She also points out that there was no, like, emergency exits, for lack of a better word. If there was any sort of like fire or flooding or other emergency while they were in the tunnels, it would just like be a deadly trap rather than a refuge, you know? Yeah, and a spelunker would definitely know that as a person who's experienced like getting into spots where you need to know how you're going to get out. Exactly. I watched a very scary horror movie around Halloween because Jake and I tried to do like a horror movie a night for the month of October. I believe it's called The Descent and it is all about like spelunking and cave exploring and uh, it's all women who like get trapped inside a cave because the leader of their group is like, oh yeah, we've definitely been to this cave before. And she's like, no, actually I lied to you all. This is an unexplored cave and we uh, don't know anything about it. Whoops, my bad. Edith also points out that if Weikenberger's theory was correct, then those seeking refuge in Erdstahls probably would have left some sort of trace. Like there would have been food remains or torch remains or like one of their valuables would have been lost in one of the Erdstahls. You know what I mean? There would have been some sort of sign that they had been there. Yeah. Or you leave a little bit of water. Like You leave a flask. You leave a bottle. Like you leave something because you know you're going to have to be there. Why leave it empty? Yeah. Like provisions, like people who, you know, have, again, root cellars where they keep like all their jarred stuff in case they need to, you know, go down there for a reason. That's exactly right, Amanda. And I appreciate that because I didn't think of that. Oh, thanks. 
So there is also a largely disproven theory that the Erdstahls were actually this kind of like vast interconnected network of subterranean tunnels that stretched from Scotland all the way down to Turkey. You wish, you wish, historians. I wish, but you also wish. So this theory became popularized after the Der Spiegel article came out in 2011, most likely because of like a misreading of the article. Like I could see how people got confused because the article does talk about something that I'm going to touch on a little bit later that kind of implies like, oh yeah, you know, the tunnels led all the way from Scotland and Ireland all the way down to Turkey. I'm like, not quite, but I see where you're going with this. The theory though now mostly disproven, is that there was this ancient underground superhighway where people could travel across the continent. And it's a cool idea from like a fantasy perspective. I could see that happening, but almost definitely impossible. Oh yeah. None of the Erdstalls that we've found so far have been connected to others, even though we have found thousands of them at this point. And also I'm not entirely sure how one would build an underground tunnel under the channel between England and mainland Europe uh, with the technology that was available. Yeah, we didn't figure that out until very recently. Yep. So I don't think that's entirely true. Listen, it would be cool. Write a fantasy novel about it. I'd love to read it. Real Artemis Fowl vibes. I'm really digging that. I feel like there was a kind of version of that in the Shadow and Bone series, The Grishaverse, which I recommended a few weeks back and also has the TV show coming out soon. Yeah. And I had a, a number of like very weirdly formative, like adolescent literature books that I read. And one called The City of Ember also had a like all underground. I know Julia's nodding vociferously because we shared these books, but that gives me kind of City of Ember vibes too. Yes. I love that. And all I remember was like the characters being really excited because they found canned peaches. Yes, they did. They did. So there is one historian named Heinrich Kusch who believes that these systems were Neolithic, so believes that they were built about 5,000 years ago and refers to them as, quote, gateways to the underworld. Okay, tell me more. However, uh, most fellow historians disagree with his assessments as radiocarbon dating and pollen analysis only dates them back, like I said before, to around the 10th to 13th centuries. Another theory believes that they might have been built during the 5th and 6th centuries, which was referred to as the migration period in Germany. So this is like when tribes left their homes and kind of abandoned the cemeteries and like shrines of their ancestors. So the theory is that the Erdstahls were built as a way of venerating the dead, which also explains why no human remains were actually found in any of the Erdstahls, because they're like cemeteries, but without the bodies. Interesting, or like a place of worship that doesn't hold the remains. That actually would make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I agree. And there are a couple of interesting superstitious and folklore theories that kind of branch off of that. My only disagreement with that is if they were burying their dead before and then migrated, why wouldn't they continue burying their dead? Like I can understand like the Erdstahls being built for the veneration of the bodies that weren't brought with them, but why wouldn't they continue burying the bodies like within the Erdstahls? I see. Yeah. Or nearby or something like that. Yeah. A lot of the use cases that we're describing, it feels like it would make more sense to have just like a room, like to have one open space versus something that feels like it goes somewhere. Yeah. Mm, that's a good point. This is a great time to kind of talk about those more superstitious and folklore based theories. So the Der Spiegel article kind of makes some 
odd connections to like Celtic druids, which I don't think holds much water, but I'm going to like share them with you because I think that the theory is interesting, even if I don't think it's particularly likely. And this is kind of what leads to that confusion of like the interconnected superhighway underground. So they point out that the distribution of some of the Erdstahls, particularly in Ireland and Scotland, and then leading to central France and then Germany kind of parallels the routes that Celtic and Druid monks traveled across the channel and then traveled across Europe as missionaries. Okay, but also that's probably where people were. That is a good point. (laughs) So the theory here is that these tunnels are therefore like some sort of remnants of the spread of Celtic conceptions of the afterlife. So like some sort of afterlife worship or like, again, that pathway to the underworld style thing that we talked about earlier. Other theories of the supernatural kind of include these ideas of Erdstahls were prisons for demons or evil spirits or even the undead. So the only real support for that, though, is there are some remnants that we found of doors and locks in some of the Erdstahls. Oh, Julia, that's bone chilling. Bone chilling. Yep. It's a little creepy, huh? Be like, oh, yeah. Oh, uh, oh, bud. We excavated that. We found locks, but only on the side where you wouldn't be able to enter. Oh, no. I don't like that one bit. That's one of my least favorite tropes is when you when you have a like open the door and there's dirt behind it. I'm just like, ah! <laughs> it just it scrambles my my hind brain. Why is it there? Why is it there? It's also another horror movie that kind of reminds me of this trope. And in particular, because you mentioned the Paris catacombs, there's a great horror movie called As Above, So Below, where there is a group that is exploring the catacombs in Paris and gets off trail and then all of a sudden is like tormented by their uh all the misdeeds that they did on earth so that's fun yeah i'm just i'm just sitting with that for a second so you still want to do that tour right amanda i I do still want to do that (laughs) tour i feel like i would need you with me because your glee over horrifying things would really outweigh my horror and together that's a lovely thing like when someone calls you up to do karaoke i'm like fucking no and they're like this is my favorite thing and then together you both have a good time Yeah, as long as you're not doing it by yourself. Exactly. Okay, that's good. I I appreciate that. I'm glad I can be your partner in creepiness. Absolutely. One of the few indications that like these Erdstahls might have been connected to demons or evil spirits or the undead is that there is this one sandstone carving that they found in Germany inside an Erdstahl that depicts a like goblin of some kind. And they're not sure what's up with that. They're just like, we have no reason why there's this goblin carving here. That's cool, I guess. But then a couple of other researchers kind of pointed out that there are ties to these local Austrian legends, which claim that the Erdstahls were built by goblins in the first place, which also would explain the size of the tunnels because they're too small for humans. Sure. And as we heard earlier, one of the like localized names for the Erdstahls was like Goblin Tunnel. Interesting. Mm. So moving past the Druids, Christianity, of course, might have played some role because it's Europe. Why not? Yeah, it. Uh, no matter if you wanted it to or not, Christianity played a role. <laughs> a lot of experts believe maybe the Erdstahls had either a sacred or ritual function rather than a practical one. Or the particular Erdstahls where they had kind of, they opened up into that chamber, that might have been used as a chamber of souls, which is a popular theory among the more like spiritual 
reasons behind the Erd stalls. Basically, they believe that these Erd stalls might have been waiting rooms for souls of the dead as they await Judgment Day. Okay. All right. However, the problem with this is perhaps not the problem, but maybe the reason why the Erd stalls were abandoned was that in the 12th century, the theology of purgatory kind of became solidified and part of the church. And as a result, souls of people did not have to wait on earth for judgment any longer. And it kind of nullified the need for the Erd stalls, which is why these scholars believe so many of them were like either filled in or their entrances were covered up. That is very interesting. Yeah. Again, we've talked about this earlier in another episode, but like the way that the change in technology and change in theology leads to changes in like the way that we use things. And I really like that. I really dig that. Oh, yeah. No, the like physical instantiation of changes of belief is something that I find so interesting. Yeah. So there is also some theories and I I left this for last because I think they're like fun, but not likely again some theories about in terms of like healing and religion and rebirth that the the schluffs those slip outs those small passages might have been used for some sort of like ceremonial rebirth because of their similarity to birth canals which i'm not in love with this theory it's a little bit out there for me personally but i wanted to share as many theories as possible because again we don't know which one it is so i want to share them all that's true So the theory is that some historians believe that by squeezing through these tight openings, people could in fact be healed of diseases and sickness because this was like kind of a symbolic rebirth that they were experiencing. This whole episode, Julia, I have been thinking, it is really fucking hard to dig a tunnel. It is hard. It takes a long time. It's hard even now with power tools. It is hard with very sharp metal shovels that we know very well how to affix them to handles. And using just hand tools, it would be even harder. Like I spent a summer digging fence posts in my backyard to put up a fence. That's the hardest manual labor I have ever done to this day. And it's not a thing that you undertake lightly. And so that is why it is so interesting to see examples. Like I'm sure, you know, before people listened to Egyptians about why the pyramids were made, it was so kind of alluring to think about why those happen because extraordinary effort needs an extraordinary motivation. And so when I listen to these theories, the fact that most of them have to do with kind of like, you know, death, sickness, you know, danger, religion, all those things make sense because those are the sort of like literal moral fears that lead us to do extraordinary things. Yeah, human motivation, because if it was just like, oh, we need to build a tunnel because I want to build a tunnel. That's one thing because like human innovation and ingenuity is one thing, but it wouldn't have led to 2000 of these tunnels being field it would have been like one guy's backyard they found an 84 foot long tunnel and they were like what was steve doing <laughs> yeah this wasn't like bored victorian noblemen being like let's do alchemy now and then you have hundreds and hundreds of papers written about like nonsensical ideas because people were bored and rich yes precisely this is not that because again it was spread all through europe it's wild to close out on this uh, birth passage theory. Fun fact, there is one place where they will actually allow you to try and squeeze through a schlupf. That is the one in Perg that I mentioned in Austria. And that is one of the few Erdstall systems that are open to the public to explore. So if you're feeling sickly, I don't recommend going into an Erdstall because the oxygen levels are extremely low in there. Yeah, yeah. I was reading an article about, I can't remember if it was the Perg one or the other one that was in lower Austria, but the tour guide for 
the Erdstall, he's like always carries a sling because if someone passes out in the tunnel from lack of oxygen, he has to be able to pull them out. And I'm just like, that's wild. Yeah, that is an intense job. Like I'm from a family of lifeguards. That's an intense job. Not as intense as Erdstall tour guide. <laughs> yes. I imagine it's a pretty busy job and with a lot of manual labor. Listen, I would look at them. I wouldn't go in. I'd probably go in. I'm not going to lie. You're also significantly smaller than me. And so I think part of it is me looking at it and being like, I have trouble sometimes with airplane seats. And I feel like I really don't want to get myself into that situation in particular. I would go into the Erdstall. I don't think you'd catch me trying to squeeze through the schlup. Sure. When the going gets tough, you're like, that's enough. I am a little bit claustrophobic. So the idea of being like wedged into a tunnel terrifies me. Yeah. I mean, there's also the hindbrain of knowing you're being potentially buried underground that nobody wants to do. Not great. Don't love that. I mean, maybe some people do. I don't. So if you are interested in learning more about Erdstahl's listeners or Amanda, definitely check out the work of the Working Group of Erdstahl Research, which is a collection of researchers that have been examining the Erdstahls and looking for answers. While the majority of them are like archaeologists or people with degrees in one form of another, it's interesting because there really hasn't been much formal research on Erdstahls. I think in the Der Spiegel article in 2011, they said that there hadn't been any like formalized articles or research projects released about the Erdstahls yet, which I think is fascinating. Like there's no one out there funding research on Erdstahls. And most of the like carbon dating or the pollen analysis that they are doing in order to try to date these Erdstahls is scientists doing it out of pocket. Right. So like, power to them. Support them if you can, because this is really interesting and I want answers. That's awesome. Also, if you're associated with the working group of Erdstall Research, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email. We would love to chat. That would be really cool. I think I've said it before, but anybody with a cool niche job, I would love to hear from you. Message us on Instagram. Send us an email. I want to know more about you. Yes, we love cool, interesting jobs. And I feel like a lot of listeners here on Spirits probably have cool and interesting jobs. We know we have a lot of like cool queer librarians. Let's get more interesting jobs in there. Librarian, very interesting job. But yeah, other jobs, also cool. We got museum educators. We got archivists. We got research scientists. We got parents. We got all kinds of people with badass jobs. And I would love to hear from you. Absolutely. So Amanda, that's what I have for you on Erdstalls. Which theory, I'm curious, speaks to you the most? A clarifying question. Do these connect to homes? Do they have staircases? How do people get into them? They're kind of just like cave entrances. I'll grab you a picture real quick. No, Julie, you're totally right. It's it's more like caves. And so I think I was picturing more of a, you know, a tunnel like in someone's basement. But the fact that these are sort of freestanding makes me think less about a hiding place or a sort of like extended dwelling because why would you like why wouldn't you just dig it close to you if that was you know if, if you were trying to connect it to your house or something mm -hmm. and more like either a devotional or grieving or mourning or worship place i mean i think most people worship with something whether it's a prayer rug a statue you know things that you carry with you you make the space special in some way and so that is something that's really kind of tugging at my brain that even if it was a textile we would find some evidence of it but thinking about what would motivate people to dig out these elaborate spaces with hand tools you know either it's the storage of something valuable which you know we'd see the things or they wouldn't be in places where they flood <laughs> or it's a space that you can be connected to something otherworldly so i think in my in my heart of hearts that's what i hope that they were yeah i i'm also kind of motivated by the supernatural 
or religious reasoning behind it. Mostly because, like, I think that one, that Spelunker was dead on. Like, these are dangerous places that you wouldn't, like, spend extended periods of time in. Yeah. And two, just by the nature of our show, I am I'm motivated to kind of go towards the more supernatural and religious explanation. But I do think that, like, one of the greatest motivators for humans out there is the idea of the worship of something bigger than us. So I can only imagine like why someone would be motivated to put so much effort and work into this and it would be to like preserve a legacy or to preserve the souls of the people that we love who passed on. I am curious though, like the biggest thing for me, the biggest sticking point for me with the art styles is that there's just no written record of it. And there's not even like a oral tradition that we can figure out the reason behind. And I think that's why it boggles my mind a little bit because if it was religious, if it was spiritual, people would talk about it. People would write that down. Even if it was something like, you know, some Christian missionary being like, ah, yes, the uh, heathens of this area dig tunnels for their dead. Like, right. No one ever did that. No one ever mentioned that. So I'm, I'm just curious as to like why it was such a big secret to history. Yeah. And even if it was kept a secret for a good reason where people needed it for some, you know, escape from persecution or, you know, safeguarding of important people or documents, I think those people would then retain that knowledge as well. So that is really puzzling. And particularly any listeners in Austria, Bavaria or any towns or areas with earth dolls in them, I would love to hear what you and your friends and your grandparents think these were for. I'm not, you know, thinking and claiming that anyone knows exactly why they were made and and you just haven't told the world. If so, I mean, please, please tell them. But I know that people come up with explanations for the weird shit in their backyards. And so I would love to know if you have any firsthand experience what you and your uh, neighbors think exactly happened. Yeah, that would be really cool. Please send us any info that you have on the Earth stalls, especially if it is uh, some firsthand knowledge. You know, we're just several thousand people connecting to solve a mystery that the internet really enjoys. Weirder things have happened, Julia. Maybe this is our legacy. Maybe we solve the Earth stall. That would be really cool. I think so, too. Well, thank you, Brandon, for the article. Thank you, Julia, for bringing me so much fascinating stuff to ponder today. Yeah. And uh, next time you're wandering through a mysterious man-made cave, remember, stay creepy. Stay cool and watch your head. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us your urban legends at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast for all kinds of behind the scenes stuff. Just $1 gets you access to audio extras with so much more available too. Recipe cards, director's commentaries, exclusive merch, and real physical gifts. We are a founding member of Multitude, a collective of independent audio professionals. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. And above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please share us with your friends. That is the very best way to help us keep on growing. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time. <laughs>